different things out there. We have our own online elk hunting academy. And uh, our flagship of that is our base camp online course right now. And um, basically a bow hunter all my, all my life. This will be my 40th season hunting elk. I've had a uh, little bit of success doing that. <laughs> These are my critters. I love them. I'm passionate about it. Uh, I'm a also retired teacher and coach. So I've combined the coaching, uh, the elk hunting, my 20 plus years of guiding to create elk bros. And it's a chance to do what I do, man, and help other people, you know, uh, change their lives in a lot of ways, chase this passion and have some of the most incredible experiences and share memories with other people that will last a lifetime, man. And so that's me in a nutshell. No, I appreciate that. And I invited you on here just because you've guided for so long. You've probably seen everything. And <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, I've made probably, probably more than my fair share of mistakes. It took me, I don't know how many years, six or seven years just to finally fill my first elk tag with a bow. Unlike Brad sitting next to me here. Um, how, who's gone like what? Eight for 10, nine for 10, seven for nine, seven for nine. Yeah. Yeah. I hate you. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just like some of us have a tougher road and some of us, you know, are a little bit more slower learners than others. Um, Brad grew up with the, uh, your dad was pretty successful elk hunter, wasn't he? Yeah. And so that kind of just rubbed off on you. Well, mine, mine hasn't, mine wasn't, he killed a few elk here and there, but, um, the knowledge is either really hard to earn or just straight up, you know, taught. And so, um, you have to earn it or, or learn it from, from your, whoever's teaching you and you being that guy for other people, Joe, I think it's pretty freaking cool. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm an old fart. So <laughs> <laughs> I've had the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, man, I'm, you know, I, I talked to everybody about the fact that, you know, everybody gets so stuck on whether or not they can do this or whether or not they have enough money to do this or whether or not they know enough about the animal to do it. And basically, you know, I started this whole adventure, uh, a backwoods North Carolina boy that came out to New Mexico and at 19 saw my first elk. And, you know, I, I hunt in tennis shoes still to this day, you know, unless I got mud or snow out there. Um, I had a $104 PSE Nova off the rack. I rack, double, double X 75s, you know, the, you remember the original satellites that came out broadheads, <laughs> you dime a dozen. And I mean, Killed critters, man. And, you know, people just got to get in the woods. And if you're passionate, if you're a hunter and you can get out there, um, man, I tell you, this is that there's no greater pursuit. It really isn't. It's it for me. I know it's, I've said this before, but my season hinges on whether or not I you know I could kill a 140 inch blacktail, but unless I kill a bull. It's not a good season, <laughs> but so, uh, so that is Joe and he's going to be one of our main speakers for the night. Brad, why don't you go ahead and take it and talk about your, uh, your experience and why you're here. Just a little intro. <laughs> yeah. Just give me an so, intro here. Brad Powell, uh, cascade hunter on Instagram and just, uh, a bow hunt Roosevelt. Other than that, I'm pretty much a nobody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's why I'm here, I guess. Perfect. Yeah. And you've had, well, you've had, you're, you're dumbing down your success. You've had really good success over here on the coast. 
Yes. Uh, so, yeah, like we were saying, seven for nine. Which um, is phenomenal over here. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're out in the woods more than anybody else that, I know. Probably you get me it. out in the woods. You drag me out there more than I normally go. So, um, I've learned a ton from you, and that's why I invited you to be on the podcast. And, and, um, <clears throat> Still a little, maybe a little awkward on the, on the very awkward, <laughs> just uh, ask the questions, but I'll give an answer. <laughs> I'm not it's those them. quiet guys. You got to watch out. It for is. <laughs> it is. It is. So, um, so we have lift run hunt on here and, um, that's going to be you trading it. Yes, that is me. Perfect. So we have all of our caller in guys and let's go ahead and start with Thomas um, I know you had a few questions. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself and then start asking these guys some questions? Yeah. Uh, my name's Thomas. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. It's Chasing Roosevelt's Outdoors. Um, <clears throat> I've been hunting since I was 13 years old. Uh, started rifle hunting. Um, have actually shot a bow since I was like six. And then I got into archery hunting. Like, long story short, been uh, elk hunting, archery for about six years, going on seven years now, and I have yet to kill an elk. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just here to kind of help out and uh, hopefully learn some stuff from you guys. And uh, you want me to just start firing away uh, the questions I have? Sure, yeah. Just uh, let, let us know who you're directing it to. And um, I'd like to know, first of all, before you get started here, where are you hunting? Like, not exactly, but are you hunting coastal? Are you hunting rocky? What do you... What do you where, where exactly? Give me some GPS <laughs> coordinates here. I, I can give you the exact location. You can probably find them before I'll find them. Uh, no, I, uh, I hunt the coast, the Oregon coast, the northern Oregon coast. Uh, to be kind of specific, but uh, yeah, I I tried Rockies um, a couple of years ago. I was on the central eastern side uh, on my uh, wife's uncle's property and got into a couple of herds. Um, missed a spike at last day of season. Oh. Uh, it's a different different type of hunting over there. It's kind of weird, but uh, I my my thing is Roosevelt's. I don't know why. I just love them. I love the dark antler, white tips. Yep, um, yep. And so, are you getting into elk at all, or are you just not getting the opportunities um, when you're getting into the elk? Uh, I like to say I just am not a very good hunter, but uh, <laughs> join <laughs> no, the club. I, I, I've been into elk. Um, Actually, it wasn't until this last year where I haven't actually seen an elk in, in the whole season. Uh, this is the first year in several years where I haven't seen elk. Mm -hmm. um, but most of it, I think, is just lack of experience in, in pinpointing the elk during the season. Um, mm -hmm. I'm good at finding elk outside of season. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I've had a couple opportunities, um, a couple on my YouTube channel. You can check them out. But. Um, I think most of the time it's just, uh, being at the right place at the right time. And I just haven't been able to connect yet. So copy. Well, um, I think, you know, I'm sure Joe, uh, and Joe, you don't have a lot of Rosie hunting. Um, or what, what's your Rosie resume? Oh, there's, there's a zero Rosie <laughs> resume other than, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm a New Mexico guy. And in fact, you know, I, Last year was the first year that we even hunted out of New Mexico. We went into Colorado DIY. And, I mean, it when you have 
I mean, I can be 45 minutes from my house and hunting elk. So it just didn't, especially when you're a teacher on a teacher's income and you're coaching, you have all that other stuff, you try to squeeze it all in. And, and as a guide, I had five days every year to get it done. And then I was guiding. So it was an intense an five intense days. Five and, days. And I tried not to waste any time in travel if possible. So, um, yeah, I wanted to get up there, get in the hills, kill something and, and get back home and then go take care of other people. So that was kind of the function. But, you know, I was interested though, when when Thomas was talking about that, he, he said that, you know, he finds them a lot in the off season. So what do you think the difference is between the in season and the off season? Uh, you want me to want to give yeah, me my that, opinion? Yeah. yeah, I'm asking you. Um, I mean, I think in the area I hunt, uh, pressure has a lot to do with it. Um, right. The times that I've been uh, successful in finding them and even getting an opportunity I like shot off mm-hmm. um, has been like middle of the week because uh, I usually take about a week off for hunting uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been the middle of the week where they're aren't as many people out um so i think i I, it might be different in different parts of the the coast range here but for where i'm at i think um pressure is a big part of it and i think i just haven't quite learned where to go when the pressure is there and that's Mm -hmm. part of you know my my uh one of my questions actually is has to do with that but um yeah and those and those were rockies though where you were at right uh no uh roosevelt's Oh, they were rosies. Okay. Yeah, I I hunted one year. Well, not even one year. It was like a a weekend over on the east coast or east east side, mm-hmm. uh, the Rockies. Okay, that's my only experience. So, yeah, and and for me, I mean, like I said, I have I've never hunted a rocky. I've done a lot of. I've had tons of conversations with buddies about them, just trying to compare the habits between the rockies and and the rosies, and and I've. I've watched so many guys that are hunting them just to, to really catch the nuances and like the calling that is ticking them off because it just seems to me like, like Rosie's are almost like um, the Rocky Roosevelt's in, I mean, the Rockies in Kentucky, you know, it's so thick, it's so green. They kind of stay in a little patch. They don't go mm-hmm. real far, a little more territorial, um, and they don't have to go that far, you know, when, when you bust them out because it's so thick, you know, it's kind of like trying to find your wife in Walmart. You can be on one <laughs> side of the island, them on the other, and you never see them. You know, you guys just have right. such thick undercover there, man. It's just, it's gorgeous. Uh, but let me tell you the difference is, for example, I, I got a question one time about how my stance when I'm hunting, most of the time when I'm shooting, I'm on my knees most of the time because of the way our forests go, you know, we're kind of barren on the bottom and those, those branches start about four or five feet up. So your best shooting lanes are actually down below. Whereas, you know, I talked to some guys and man, you do that over there in your country, you ain't seeing diddly. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. The ferns are taller than mostly <laughs> oh, yeah. if you're kneeling down. Yeah. Um, so what time are you seeing, what time of the year, um, Thomas, are you, are you saying you're seeing these elk and then you're losing them? What time of the year is that? So I've been, uh, there's, there's like two main areas I've been hunting and scouting. Um, and every single time between, uh, I'd say late May to about 
second week of August. I'll see, maybe not every single time I go out, but, you know, at least once a month, every or twice a month, I'll see the same herd or one of the two or three herds that are in that area. Okay. And then it's like right before season, I don't know, maybe I'm just missing them, but um, they either, you know, go somewhere else or, and I've caught them in the season. Yeah. Like I said, I've had opportunities, but just not able to connect. And then some, this last year was probably the worst year as far as trying to find them. We just couldn't find them. And how many bulls are you seeing in these herds? What's what's the herd dynamics? <clears throat> um, the the main herd that I've been I was targeting uh, had one big bull. Well, not a big bull. It was four point last time I saw him, mm-hmm. uh, and some spikes. Okay. And then there's another herd. <clears throat> that uh, we've seen, we haven't been able to see the big bull like this last year. I think we got him to to pipe off once, um, but I know that herd has a ton of little spikes and porcupine horns and stuff in it. But uh, the, I think they're probably fifteen elk usually, fifteen to twenty. Okay, and is that so really usually the only two? herd that you're seeing up there? Um. Uh, in one area, yes. In the other area, there's two different herds. That, and the whole other area has two different five-point bulls. Okay. Um, yeah, further south. So Brad and I were actually talking about this. Um, and Joe, feel free to chime in if you've got something that you learned from what he just uh, gave for, for an answer and reply there. I'm sure you probably got something. But um, Brad and I were actually talking about this. And Brad is probably doing a better job of studying the elk than our ODF and W is here locally because he's had – how many trail cams have you had? A lot. I've, I've had <laughs> trail cams up and down this canyon for what now, three years? Yeah. And kind of got them patterned down to where they grow their antlers. Yep. Where they drop their antlers. But it's still a mystery where they go to rut. Right. So. I mean, you're watching a herd of how many bulls right now? Seven. Right? Yeah, seven bulls. Yeah, right now. seven bulls, and a couple of them are pretty good size. Yeah, there's a couple dandies <clears throat> in there. And, um, and so, you know, I long story short, Joe, you can chime in here if you uh, have something more to add, but we're trying to mm-hmm. figure out, you know, are they, are they moving when they drop their horns because the feed is moving or are they focusing in on, in on a different feed to get what they need to grow their horns better? Um, but we're, we're just noticing these rosies kind of just, they all have their own little home ranges when the rut happens. And I, Brad, what you've noticed, we've had, you've had bulls that you've had on and when they are growing velvet, have mm-hmm. you caught any of those far away or no. they've all just disappeared? All disappear. Yeah. Um, and so what we do is we cover a ton of ground, a ton of ground. It sounds like you're focused on two different herds. I think that's a mistake. I think you need to start going out mm-hmm. and just learning the areas and just covering way <laughs> more ground and quit, quit focusing all your time on two herds. Cause you don't have you, to yeah. be seeing anything either. Right. I mean, Every bull I've killed, I've never seen before. So, yeah, I same mean, here. Just looking for signs. <laughs> same but, here. I mean, rubs. Um, yeah, well, we, we'll get into that. I guess yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, I think it's a big mistake for for you to focus because if you ask me to go find a certain herd during the season, it may take me all season to find that herd. But it'll, I will find a different bull that's piping off somewhere in some drainage all by himself who wants to die that day. And so, um, I would my my solution to you would be cover more ground and be probably just look for the sign and that's going to lead into Brad. Brad, you want to take it from there? I, yeah. Rubs and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's my tactic. Uh, we cover a lot of ground looking for sign, mostly rubs because one, a bull made that. So there's obviously a bull in the area 
And uh, do you, uh, who are we talking to now? Thomas. Thomas, uh, do you do you spot and stock or are you uh, trying the calling thing? Uh, trying to call. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's what we do. And uh, I mean, once we find the sign, you know, we'll pick that canyon apart. You know, we'll hit every single high point, little nook and cranny in there. And if nothing's answering, we won't even drop in. I mean, you're right. It's hard to, in this country, if th- something's not talking and as long, I mean, if it's in the timber and it's not talking, it's going to be hard to get on. Period. So I've never spot and stalked any bull my whole life. So I got lucky that one time. Well, I got, I got road <laughs> hopper one time. Oh, did you? Yeah. That spike <laughs> We're cruising down the road and this spike standing over there and hit the brakes, get out, step off the, <laughs> off onto the clear cut and <laughs> whacked him at 40. Perfect. Was, never happened. Um, is this helping you at all so far, Thomas? Is this answering any of your oh, questions? Yeah. Um, Joe, is there anything you want to chime in? Well, I, you know, I think, and it's hard because I don't have the rosy, yeah. you know, experience there, but it, just as far as elk go, I mean, your, your biggest problem out there is you're such thick country and, you know, those critters are going to go someplace where, um, you meant, you said it is, it's the feed number one. So when you have those and where you're going to see them is where you have those breaks in the canopy. Those are those places um, you got your forest areas, you got your tree um, growth areas, you got, uh, um, you know, that you're, I don't know how you don't refer to them as, I mean, they're lumber company companies, right. That, mm-hmm. that have all those cuts and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, when, when they're bachelored up like that and they're in small groups, they don't need big feed areas. And you guys have so many areas that you can find a few breaks in the canopy that they can actually go to, to get some feed. And I think the toughest part is, is when you're hunting elk, when you're really hunting bugles. And I I think that's what makes it real hard. But in your country, because it is so thick and you can be so close without seeing them, you know, it's just, it's one difficult task for you but i agree with you and what you were saying though um garrett and that really for me it's like i know where elk like to be and how they like to move on a hill um i know where they like to bed on benches and how they like to side hill um in certain areas to go through natural funnels so i myself man i i love tracks on my onyx or on my base map and I just lock that in and I start side hilling on areas that naturally funnel until I can hit an elk trail of some kind. And I just start doing them. I want to see where they're coming from, where they're going to, especially for rosies who are so they're They don't migrate like the Rockies do. They're going to be fairly territorial and, and where they are, they're not going to be that far from. So like if you're Mm -hmm. searching for that herd in this one area and they've only gone over like a ridge or two over into a little pocket where nobody's seeing them, it's like they just don't exist. It's kind of like, you know, uh, a Sasquatch out there, man. It's just because you're just (laughs) not seeing that booger, man, you're in search of. So I, I really like just to cover country, hit tracks, find those places and, and look for that sign of things where they're eating. Um, I don't know about y'all's water situation there. It's not like what we deal with in the West. I mean, you guys get so much rain. So yeah. water's always last on my list anyway for stuff like that. Uh, so I'm just looking for places where they're getting the best feed. And when they do go into velvet, you know, 
our bulls like to stay a little bit more more open country than the thicker country because yeah. those horns are sensitive, man, at, at that point in time, you know, to, to being damaged and stuff. So um, when people hunt bugles, I think is when it's the toughest to find elk. Okay. I mean, it, it it's great because half the battle is finding an elk before you can kill it, right? Um, and it's great when they sound off, but what if they're not? You know, what is your strategy for killing silent elk? What is your technique for that? And for me, it's really, I work through areas. I try to use the thermals. And I don't know if, if you've seen, ever seen me a picture of me, but I got this big old Italian nose, dude. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the first elk I ever killed, I used their technique. I sniffed them out. I just cut crosswind till I caught their scent in an area where they were transitioning and worked into the wind until I got into them. And what I do now is when I get into critters like that, I don't have to get all the way into them. I can actually put on scenarios um, and try to paint the picture of other, depending on the mode and the time of year to actually bring them to me. I don't know how well that works on Rosie's, but everybody that I've talked to there says that, you know, if you do get one to pipe off, you got to be super aggressive with them. Yeah. 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 I, I 100% agree on the aggressive part. Me and Brad were talking about the most common mistakes here is people just aren't aggressive enough. And they'll either turn and just walk away because the bulls just shut up on them or they, right. they don't keep up with them. You don't have to keep up very far. You just have to keep on them and, and really, like, for example, your bull this year, Brad, um, walk through that and, and, and how you just sat there for a while. Want me to just tell the whole story, kind of? Sure, yeah. So I located a bull um, that morning. It wasn't the one I killed. So I, I located a bull, and I moved in on it. It's, this is thick timber. There's no clear cuts around. I think visibility is probably 20 yards yeah. max. Yeah, And uh, I was going after this bull, but he just kept his distance the whole time. And it sounded like a young bull. And I found this big rub, and... Uh, I could start, started to hear cows down in the canyon below me and a, a bull cracked off down there. And I could just tell by the beagle that that was the herd bull. And, uh, <clears throat> I instantly dropped in on that. And, uh, just when I lo locate a herd bull like that, typically I like to have them bedded, but this wasn't the case that they were up feeding and we'll get into that a little bit later, but I dropped in on this bull calling my way, you know, in if you call your way in that bull is probably going to round up his cows and take them away so i yeah I, when i'm dropping in i, I want to bugle a little bit just so i know where he's at and uh i got down in there on him and uh i walked right into a cow and she busted me she saw me and that whole herd went quiet for an hour and i just sat down there in the creek until they started talking again and uh uh i just kept on this bull i think it was two miles it was close to two miles. Two miles, yeah. and finally he had enough of me, and uh, turned, turned, and came in and gave me a twenty-five yard uh, broadside shot. Yeah. The so. the point I was hoping to, to to catch on here is that when he got busted, most guys would have turned and got pissed off and headed back home and told their buddies how close they were to this herd. He sat there, had the mental mm -hmm. fortitude just to sit there, knowing that rosies don't go very far, and right. he the herd just started picking up again, and then that bull was still fired up. He's still rutting. 
He just he didn't know why he was running. The no, cows they did. Yeah, the cow the, did. The, cow did. the rest cow. of the herd had no clue. Right. I mean, they don't know. All they're doing is going off that cow's reaction. She busted. Yep. They're going off her reaction, so they just kind of chilled for a bit. And, you know, I just sat there until they went back to doing their thing yep. and then got, went right back where I left off. <clears throat> and uh, this this is just out of the um, Angry Spike playbook, Thomas, but you go straight for those elk. You don't take really take the easiest route. You go straight in on them, and you crash in there. Um, cause a rosy barge in, I mean, you want to do it pretty quick I, over here, at least, um, on the coast. That's kind of how we get it done. Um, yep. you got to think of it this way. I mean, what's a bull going to do that's trying to take that bull's cows. They're not going to mm -hmm. sit back, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're going to go right. You know, they're going to go after right. them, challenge them. So, well, and what's really cool is that this bull he shot had wounds from a, from a, I'm, getting, I'm looking forward to seeing this bull. Yeah. Um, that his bull was the biggest bodied bull I'd ever seen. The hindquarters were 82 pounds each. They were 82. Wow. Yeah. And, um, pretty, pretty good sized bull. And he had a antler tip wounds on the side of him. So another bull had challenged him. And so he probably was just prepared to fight again. He was probably just the meanest bull. He wasn't the biggest bull. He was a good, good bull. There's a bigger bull in there. But there's a bigger bull in there. We, we haven't seen him yet. We're just going off the rubs. There's yeah. rubs in there that yeah. that bull was incapable of making. So um, is there any, any other follow-up questions before we move on to the next person here, Thomas? Uh, yeah, I got one more. Okay. Kind of the ties into that. So uh, context, last year, uh, my buddy and I, we were um, hiking in the Gator Road. We got about three miles in and uh i was locating bugling all the way in and we had eight lunch and we're heading back out and we had a bull pipe off by himself um and it sounded like he was probably three four hundred yards away and i th so I, I think what my mistake was is that we didn't go straight to him but the reason why is that the the wind direction from where we were standing was like blowing almost straight towards him. Mm -hmm. So we tried to uh, basically get the wind right, which happened to be on the road that we were on, um, down to a creek bottom. And by the time we got down to the creek bottom, he had shut up. Um, so I guess one of the questions is, uh, it's a two-part two question, is in that situation where we got to the creek bottom, the wind had been like more of a crosswind mm -hmm. and I felt we could have pushed towards him, but he had shut up. So how do you know, like if that bull is moving away from you, if you can't really pinpoint him or moving to bed, or is that one of those kind of elk that you just want to kind of not necessarily give up on, but just, you know, back away from mm -hmm. if he pipes off again, then you go back towards him. So what kind of day was it? Yeah, that's exactly uh, what I was wondering. <clears throat> it was uh, actually 10.30 in the morning. Yeah, 10.30 was probably already in his bed. That might have okay. been the reason he piped off. And if you and I, I in y'all's country there, the wind blowing at him, and as thick as it is, I don't even think he was 400 yards away. And, it, you know, that might have been 253 at the most. I mean, if you're just because of how thick it is, man, it just – denses up the sound there and if your wind was going at him there might even be a chance that he did already catch your scent you know okay. and and shut him up i think you made the right move going and and i agree that it doesn't have to be to where the wind is in your face a crosswind is a great wind it's a great wind to hunt in into like that 
So if you could have gotten crosswind on go at it, um, that that was the right move to do. It that's not going to do you any good just to go straight at them with the wind going up your butt. It, you know, you're just setting yourself up for failure anyway. Yeah. And and you're saying this is in, um, we'll get Brad. He wants to talk in here too. You, so you were above them on a ridge and you can hear them down towards a Creek is what you're saying at 10, 10 30. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Um, we were heading back up the road, which came up to the top of, uh, actually the bottom of clear cut, the top of a hillside. Okay. And he, he sounded like he was down and then up the other side. Oh, man. Okay. So my opinion here, do um, you want to go first, Brad? Well, I, I was just going to say, um, we on the coast over here, it's not like over east. We do not have a steady wind. It's, yeah, especially um, closer to the coast. I was coast just going to say, there, I'll tell you my 2019 story real quick. We located a bull, and uh, we were dropping in on this bull. The wind was good. We get halfway down the mountain and the wind's blowing right toward that bowl where he he's on the other side of the creek though. Mm-hmm. And I made the call. It was actually the last day of season. My buddy's trying to get me to back out and I'm like, man, let's just keep going. I the wind on that other side of the draw is probably right. gonna be back in our face. Exactly. And right. we that's what we yeah. did. And we got down there in the bottom and up the other side mm-hmm. and luckily that wind was blowing right in our, my face <laughs> and I ended up killing that bull last day of season. Right. Yeah. So I mean on the coast over here it's kind of a hard call. I mean, sometimes. Yeah, you can't go off of. Um, you can't just go off of morning and evening because, especially with the weird inversion layers, the closer you get to the to, you know to the big water, the ocean over here, the, just the more fickle the wind seems to get. Um, but I right. basically was gonna was gonna go piggyback off of Brad here. If that bull, when you said that bull was probably on the other side of the creek, that's a hundred percent green light. Get your ass in there and go kill that bull yeah. because that wind. 99% of the time will not be blowing up the other side. It's going to be blowing okay. down the creek because that inversion is probably, you know, in the clear cut this year, about 930 was when the uh, the wind was switching. Uh, obviously, we just said that's very finicky, but about 930 here on the coast, it was that's when it started to, to about switch, maybe 10 o'clock. In your timber there, it's going to be longer. So you're going to have more time just to charge down in there. And I would have, I, I would have charged in there like a wrecking ball and just went up. And just assumed, just assumed it was going to be good when I got to the bottom. Well, and the, the the creek changes things just from the temp as well. I mean, it starts pulling things down with if there is any scent that goes down. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, you're yeah, it's a good point. And um, <laughs> you know, and Trey is saying sometimes you got to roll the dice. And I'm a hundred percent. I would rather blow a bull, <laughs> blow a bull out of there than not even work them. Like I'm, exactly. I'm willing, I'm willing to blow it up. I'll go find another one. Yeah, you know. Um, maybe that's a little too aggressive for <laughs> some folks, but you know, you're going to, you're going to lose more chances from my, from my experience. And, and I, Joe, I'd love to hear your experience here, but you're going to lose more chances if you're afraid of busting the bowl and making the right plays than if you're w- playing it too safe and just not making, making your opportunities happen. I mean, if no, there's... I'm, I'm totally agree with that because I mean, everything that I do, even on, especially on public land. You know, people talk about how aggressive I am moving in because I'll blow up situations trying to make the situation happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and it's a different reason for me. It's not so much that it's thick, but there's just too many variables that can happen between me, especially if a bull's sounding off and you got other hunters in the area. You get all these other variables could end blowing it up for you. So if you're not aggressive, you're just going to lose the opportunity, you know, and sitting back and let it disappear. 
I, I'm with you. I'd rather, I'd much rather blow something up than not have the opportunity in the first place. Yeah. Well, you know, if I'm on the same page, you, I feel like I'm on the right tracks. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Thomas, does that, does that help you out there? My, my friend, is that, is that um, some decent information there for you? Yeah. I got one more question. If that's go ahead, go ahead. So in that situation, uh, if we were to head basically straight for him, mm-hmm. let's just say the creep wasn't there. How like how far from the bull, estimate wise, like would you say that wind direction should be a hundred percent on your mind? So like in that situation, if we closed a hundred yards and then the wind was a hundred percent at our back, was that the point where you'd stop and say let's? Get that would be or? i'll take that one so that would be terrain dependent so if i'm still not in the yeah. creek or if he's still up above me i'm not worried about it it's going to be at that point all you can do is play the thermals the best you can and and just you know allow just you got to get yourself in the game and just make educated guesses the, you know the whole way there and so it depends on where the bowl is and what the wind is doing and what the train is showing me brad what do you think yeah i'm right there with you yeah I and mean, usually i'll go through a bottle and wind checker Every almost every single day on the coast over here. I'm just constantly. I'm, I'm about one a week. Really, I'm yeah. co- I'm checking the wind more than anyone. I mean, uh, I walk with that thing out ahead of me. It's like we're hunting. We're not hunting. We're hunting. Exactly. The wind switches over here a lot. It I does. Mean. It does. And and to be honest with you, man, I mean, we could you could take our advice and you could get blown up. But I think you know it's that's just the risk. Of, you know, I blow up an elk probably every year or two. You know, it just it just happens. But. Um, you know, that bull I killed this year, we were the only ones, um, not the only ones. There was one other group besides us playing that bull properly, but we were there before daylight and we knew cause we knew he was there, but there was a dude dropping in on that bull directly above him on the same spine spine. And I'm just thinking thermals, thermals, dude, mm-hmm. like this is, this is not new stuff. And luckily we killed him before the thermals switched, but, um, you gotta be, you gotta be really freaking close and, I, I would rather have a bull working on steep ground because I feel like I have the wind more consistent on steep ground than, than a moderate flat or broken or spine even. And uh, it just it's just some scenario dependent, but the, the range doesn't really matter to me that much as, more as, as much as the terrain is. Okay. That, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So any anything you want to add there, Joe, before we move on? <laughs> no, I'd just say, you know, the, the cool thing about y'all's terrain, man, is – you know, because your vegetation, you can just be so friggin' aggressive and just blow right into them. I mean, I mean, you're getting right on top of those guys, man, 40 yards. I mean, you don't, you know, out here, we got to think about, you know, that gap and, and the change and the openness and stuff like that. And our stop and scan locations, because, you know, those bulls are going to stop and look where they can. And, you, you don't have that issue in a lot of your country there. Right. It's like you just keep blowing right into them like you're a bull coming up, man, and sound like one. You know, be real aggressive on them. Make them, you know, think that uh, another big guy's coming after them and, you yeah. know, do that fight or flight thing. So Yeah, and and one more thing, um, Thomas, I don't know how loud you're being on the way in there, but Joe just saying that is I'm not sneaking my way in there. I'm literally crashing no, my way No, heck no, you just <clears> – <throat> Yeah. You just blow right into I, him, I want him I to, can yeah. tell you a story real quick for Thomas if you want. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's been years ago, but I was up on this cat road calling off and on for probably an hour. And oh. crickets, nothing. This isn't yeah. Penny's Bowl. This yes. is a different bowl. Oh, no? No, a different, different okay. scenario. Sim- similar there. in ways. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, we were up there for probably an hour calling off and on. 
And I know there was elk in the area and I'm trying to figure out why aren't these elk responding? And I went over to a slash pile and I jumped right in that thing. And as soon as I started breaking limbs, a bull just charges right at me yeah. waiting for that, mm-hmm. you know, wait for that brush breaking. I mean, elk aren't quiet animals. You got to be loud. Yeah. No. Right. Add, add dimensions to your, add dimensions to your elkiness out in the woods. If you're into calling, calling and sneaking will not work. You want to be, if you're going to bugle, you want to break brush. Yeah. I mean, elk are extremely loud. So. Yep. Um, he even had a buddy who raked in four bulls this year at one time. Rattle. R- rattle, rattle. Rattled in four bulls in one time this year over on the coast, which yeah. is something I want to try this year. Yeah. So, and that, um, that's a technique that's that's really starting to take place in our country too. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It it adds to it, man. You, I still say, man, the number one cheapest call out there is raking a tree. And <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we call in so many bulls just raking them, and you start adding a little, especially early season when you know the bulls are not talking as much, and they're buddy buddy, and they're doing the sparring. Just those little tips of the horns and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it really adds to the scenario. Yeah. Okay. Well, how you feeling now, Thomas? Do you, you feel like you have a little bit better idea of, of to answers to your questions now? Yeah. I, I I thought I was being aggressive before, but I don't think I had been. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, unless yeah, you blow up great. a couple elk this year, I think you need to go a little bit more and then maybe pull it back if you're getting uh, blown up too much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, and. You know, dude, use it or lose it, and and <laughs> that's just it right there. Either you're going to get there and get on, or it's going to be well, I heard, saw, thought. Yep. You know, yeah, you got to take those chances. Yeah. Okay. All right, brother. Well, hey, I appreciate you calling in. We're going to have you um um on. So if you want to chime in, I'm going to um put you on mute here for the other guys. But in the end, here we're going to give everybody um another chance to talk. So if you want to hang on, you're more than welcome to ask a question towards the end of the show. All righty, cool. All right, brother. Appreciate you for joining. So, um, so Joe, we have a um, uh, Washington Ben. I think he was on here, um, and then we're going to get over to Ross and Trey. But um, Ben has been a listener to the podcast for, gosh, how long have you been listening to the podcast, Ben? Uh, pretty much ever since you started the podcast. Really? <laughs> okay. So way too long. <laughs> um, and and so I'm I'm excited to hear what you got here, brother. I appreciate you for coming on and taking your time to uh, to make us feel good by picking our brains. <laughs> so um, you having me on. Well, go ahead and shoot us with your best shot. I'm sure one of us could could BS you a little bit. All right. Uh, so I'm Ben. I'm from obviously I'm from Washington. Uh, my I think my biggest problem is probably e scouting. Not too good at it. Do you have any advice on how to like pick terrain or you know? Because I use. Yeah, are you talking? Are you talking um, um, Rocky or Rosie? Oh, Roosevelt. Okay. Copy. That's a tough one for Rosie's for me. Um, my strategy is just finding those rubs, driving those roads until you see rubs. Yeah. That's kind of how we locate over here. Yeah. I mean, I, on, when I'm looking for, um, Joe, this might be a tough one for you to answer, but elk or elk. So I'm sure you can have, um, some, some tips for the e-scouting here on the, on the West side here too. But, um, I like to try and find areas where there's, um, 
less pressure. So walking gates for me or, or like ag units, we call those ag units where um, even inside of Timberlands, you can't drive. You have to only walk even even though it's private property. You have to walk inside these these limited access areas, I guess. Um, ag units are great places to start. I look for big chunks of timber where these bulls can go and escape. And I look for, honestly, I look for some of the shittiest ground I can find and some of the thickest reprod I can find. So like 10 to 15-year-old repro, Brad's smiling laughing here. He's like, yeah. <laughs> best tactic, bugle in the biggest shithole yeah, you can find. <laughs> that's pretty much it. And then I, I hunt the stuff that's really not sexy or fun on the eyes. It's really... It's the stuff that if you are an elk and the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour, you're not even feeling the wind. I mean, I killed a bull three, four years ago um, in, in that 20-year-old reprod, 15-year-old reprod. Um, that wasn't fun to hunt. <laughs> so I would look for areas with lots of reprod, big timber around it, and then hunt those really steep, nasty pockets around it. And those elk will be in that reprod, believe it or not, all day long. They'll let you drive 100 yards from them, and they won't even care. They, they, they're just used to traffic over here. All the logging roads, it doesn't matter. Somebody could be logging right next to them. Somebody could be driving next to them. Um, but thicker, the better. And then more, le, the least accessible, the better. Um, big, deep, but dark. How, but how are you spotting that e-scouting for him? How, how are you locating that so, e-scouting? Yeah, so um, I would pick a general area you want to hunt. And then basically I would look for a lot of logging units. Obviously, that's that's going to be a really good feed source for you. Um, logging right. units or opened areas. And then from there, um, you're going to be able to see last year's rubs or older rubs. Those are money. Those are great. Rosies are going to keep using those same areas. I would focus on all their patches. I would focus on um, probably 10 year old reprod, um, or less. And I would just look for these rubs and you can put a ton of pieces of the puzzle together. I know this, is, this isn't really e-scouting, but you can put tons of pieces together just by finding areas with lots of reprod, finding areas with lots of Creek bottoms, looking for those alders, and then focusing in on those areas. And if bulls were using those that year, they're probably going to be back in that same area this year. Um, they're very territorial and they're very, they are very habit habitual. I will say like bulls return to the same areas over here. It seems like some guys target the same bull three or four or five years until they kill them. Mm -hmm. um, Brad, you got anything you want to add on that? For, no, for you're right not much of an e-scouter. You don't even barely use Onyx. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so Joe, what do you, what do you got? So I, it, you know, for me, I'm trying to like take your reprod and kind of put it into what I think it is. I mean, uh, that's, that's where your your timber stuff has taken place, right? Yeah, so it's like reproduction timber. So it's where the way they gone in there, they logged, clear cut it, and then now the trees right. are about now ten to fifteen years old and about five to ten yard visibility. If that, yeah, if, so they're, if that. They're, they're still getting light with a lot of feed. In there's those a areas. lot of feed. Sometimes there's sow owl um, in yeah. there, but typically, if you, if you find the right, you know, maybe like a south facing one, you'll get a lot of green grass um, in there too. Um, and in, for for me, for me in my areas, if I had an area like that and I had those opens, I really like what I call crow's foot drainages in mm -hmm. creek bottoms. I, I really like things that will be like uh, a, a junction of of three or or four different drainages that have fed down in, into a, a main drainage. And especially if uh, any of those have saddles between what those drainage and where those reprods are. So if you have some of that little bit of steeper and where they can get in on the sides and then come out and then go feed and feed areas, like you were talking about the big nasty areas like that. But I find that when you get in those type of crow's feet, you usually have 
real steep places with a lot of ridge feeds, what I call ridge line feeds coming down that they like to work down those finger ridges. And it'll actually come down and a lot of times it'll start to flat out a little bit as it starts coming down in some of those areas. And those areas actually become good moisture areas and, and will open up enough that they have some feed down in there. And those are great areas when the when what you call the reprod get pressure where they can go over into an area, still get the cover and still get some feed and be able to feel a little bit safe in there. But once, and they're going to end up going back to where they get the good feed. They're going to end up doing those cycles where they go and they check it out. And when they're not getting pressure in one area, a lot of people think like elk get to go disappear and there's no pressure right? Well, that doesn't happen because there's other hunters out there and it's going to bounce them right back. And so they end up doing these circles. They end up checking areas and getting comfortable. And they'll go into one place until they get bumped in, but they will be back, man, because they know where the feet is. Mm -hmm. They know where they're comfortable. They can know where they can get safety. And I'm not sure about y'all's thermal regulation in there because I don't know really what y'all's temps are like um, in the areas that you're out. I, I think it's just like, I've heard people talk where sometimes it's just really hot all the time, hot and moist, but I don't know how to feel that because I've been there. Yeah. I mean, um, is there any, you want to follow that question up with anything, Ben, or do you have any, any uh, add-ons to that question or anything that led you down? No, that was, that was, that, you know, answered my question. I was hoping I was kind of in the right area mm -hmm. and this year I was, but I don't, going back to was it thomas he you kind of answered one of my questions i i wasn't being aggressive enough i had a bull come in i think about 110 yards i think he was and i just kind of was like i can't you know go in on him yeah well the um i get so, so were you worried you so were going to spook him because of the noise is that why you didn't want to go in on him yeah that's what i was kind of afraid of yeah that and I think that is probably one of them. And even on Rockies, man, my favorite place to hunt Rockies is in real thick oak yep. brush. And I, man, I do not even try to be quiet. And I've had elk come within, in that thick oak brush within 10 yards. And because they think I'm just another bull that's working through there and get great shot opportunities. Elk are big, large, noisy critters. And they are going to accept you being another noisy critter. And and one thing I and I don't know if if this is incorrect because again I'm not an expert on rosies, but I hear a lot that they're very territorial mm -hmm. aggressive. And I think, man, using noise and moving in on them would be the ticket. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And and Ben to, to your case, I had a very similar scenario. Um, and through those six years of me not punching a tag and then having these scenarios happen over and over again, um, I had a bull that me and him literally bugled back and forth. I, I am not exaggerating at least 150 times in two hours and less than a hundred yards apart. And I mean, he just wouldn't move. And I kept like just trying to call him off downhill slightly out of this, you know, 15 year old reprod. Um, and he just would not move a step, but he would rake, he would bugle, he would answer me every time. And it was just like every 15 to 20 seconds, one of us was bugling and I was cutting him off. He was cutting me off and it was getting dark on me. And, and finally I'm like, you know, the wind's good. It's been good the whole time. And I just got to go kill him. And so I had to get up and actually go in and shot him at, I think 15 yards. 
And when I finally got to him, he was posturing up to me. He wasn't like looking for me. He knew I was a bull and he had his like nose semi up in the air and he was just kind of doing this like broadside proud bull thing. It was really, really yeah, cool. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> Look at these. Look at these. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, dude. Yeah. And as I was drawn back, I'm like, I freaking did it. Like this was my first um was that my first bowl? Yeah, my first bowl with a bow. <clears throat> and um and it was just it was freaking awesome. I'm like, you know, I've done this song and dance before. We're gonna do this until dark, and then I'm gonna go home and wonder why I didn't kill this bull. And I'm like, you know, I, I know what I need to do. I need to get on the same level as him and challenge him. And as soon as I got right in on him, he came right out from behind that bush he was raking. He postured up, and I smoked him right in the heart at uh, you know, 15 or 17 yards or something like that. But that that's the epitome of rosy hunting right there. I mean, that is that is exactly why um, I love. I get more excited about getting a bull in the thick stuff than I do about mm-hmm. getting a bull out in the middle of a an, of a unit or a giant thin where you can see 80 yards. I mean, I my your chances go up dramatically. You can get away with a lot more movement. The wind, I think, is a little bit easier. Um, it just everything just seems to come together a lot more when you're when you're playing in their territory and you're going to them. So on the rosy aspect, I'll tell I'll add you a story on the exact same thing that happened to me in in a different way. I mean, because I I started on a herd, and our herds are a little different. The the Rockies have very large groups where you guys are going to be a little bit smaller in your groups. But I ended up on a stand on a herd, got in them in the moonlight because I, I was night bugling them up. Got on them in the moonlight, three in the morning. Stayed off of them 200 yards, just kept working, just staying within distance until um, we started to get light coming up. Get the gray light. I start to get a little bit closer, try to get a look. We're getting shooting light. And I've got this huge bull that is just screaming. And where bulls are generally going to be trailing the herd, for some reason, this guy was up on their offside. So Hmm. I always had cows and smaller bulls in between. Uh, I even got busted twice by cows that saw movement, but as soon as I started cow calling, they just took me for another cow, settled down. We were able to do this. From 3 in the morning, I'm with this group, and I'm just trailing, just trying to keep working, trying to get up on a parallel, trying to find a way to get to this one bull until we get up finally, and it was about, I mean, I've been with them since that time till 10 o'clock in the day when they're going up to an area that I figure they're going to bet at. So I kind of do the circle thing. I go off to the um, downwind side of them parallel and start just hauling butt using the terrain trying to get up so I could come in from the side on them. And I come up and it's a perfect area where I come over to look where they should have been standing right in front of me. And it's like, nada man just <laughs> ghosts and i'm i go up there and i stand around i'm scratching my freaking head looking around i look back right from where i had just come they are like kind of jogging going down that way you know the, the the group and at that point frustration just came in so much and i got so pissed it was like so many people would have gone ah screw it they're gone right i got so pissed I took my bow in one hand, I had a diaphragm in my mouth, I took my arm and I just started hauling butt down through this scrub oak. And with my one arm, I grabbed a stick and I just started trashing crap as I was running down the hill. <laughs> I mean, it sounded like a doggone four by four truck going down that hill. And I come down to the bottom right where I'm just getting towards the edge of where, you know, it opens up into this small little jack pine park. 
And all of that racket right there, and I laid that, I, I got down and I put three reeds on my leg and started to sound like three different bulls coming in from different area to play up all that noise that they just heard like that. And I look out and I spot these, these two spikes that are bedded about 150 yards down in this little open park. And I see them snap their head over to the side and then get up like, uh-oh, and you know, something big's coming and I look and I see the body. And because of all that racket, what I did, that bull turns and he comes right into me. And, you know, he, you were talking about that being your first bull, Garrett. Mm -hmm. Well, this was my first big bull. And I didn't see the head until he was about 60 yards out. And you know how they kind of drop their horns down to get under something, mm -hmm. you know? And... When I saw that man, I mean, it's just like <gasps> <laughs> you can you can hear your heart coming out your mouth and everything, and this bull just keeps coming because he wanted to see the bulls that made all that racket. If I wouldn't have done that, it would have been a done deal. He comes in eighteen yards, and I ended up shooting the biggest bull of my life. He hmm. he measured out to be three fifty one, and crap. on state land, yeah, and it, it was just imagine that from three in the morning and it ended up i shot him at 10 30 in the morning you know with them that whole time and it was an aggressive just last ditch frustration move that i made on him to go get in there on him that that caused it to happen yeah well it's another story of just being aggressive and having it work out <laughs> i mean it's just there's a common there's a common the theme here yeah so yeah. I mean, what's the choice, man? I mean, if you don't create some odds, you have zero odds. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. So Ben, is there anything else on your, on your list there that you had that you wanted to ask one of the guys here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How important is cow calling compared to like bugling or sounding like a bull? For Rockies or Rosies? Both. I'll let the Rosies guys answer and then I'll tell you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys call cow call elk in. I mean, yeah. uh, Penny's bull, I was using a cow call, but I was also bugling. I was trying to sound like a whole herd. Yeah. Um, I get um, I get way more action bugling. Yeah, I typically don't use cow calls at all, but, I mean, it has worked for me Yeah. Um, in the past. Now, are you, are you talking cold calling or just are you um, – give me a little bit more here, Ben. <clears throat> like when you finally, like, get into a group of elk mm -hmm. and you're – just, you know, kind of like you guys were explaining, trying to close a different uh, distance and like how important is it to like sound like cows and in bulls or, you know, in that aspect, well, if, if you're in a herd of elk, if you're going after a smell bull. them, you know, they're in the area. Yeah. I would say if you're using the bugle and challenging that bull stick with the bugle, I wouldn't even cow call at all. But early season, I mean. It, Bugles don't yeah. always work in early season, so I, I have, you know, cow called a little bit. Um, my wife, she shot a giant bull back in 18, and uh, that was the third day of season, I think, and I cow called a lot. Uh, found some rubs and uh, got on this high point, and I just tried to sound like a herd. I was actually down there for, I think, an hour. Not obviously not calling for an hour continuously, but off and on, breaking brush, just trying to sound like a herd. And yeah, you were cold calling. Yeah, and it, 
I finally gave up. This is no joke. This is 100% <laughs> true. We gave up and I turn around and I look at my wife. I'm like, I'm talking like this or, you know, this volume right here. I'm like, well, there ain't no elk down here. Let's go. And, uh, we're talking out loud and we turn to walk up the trail back to the truck and I hear brush breaking and I look back and here's the biggest bull I've ever called in coming, you know, V-lining right for us. And I just dropped back and I started raking a tree and that bull closed from 40 to 20 turn broadside. Like you said, he is posturing up turns broadside for her. And I'm just like, how, why does this never happen to me? I didn't even have my bow. I left my freaking bow in the truck mm-hmm. because, uh, I knew there was raghorns down in there. I did not know that, that thing was living in there, but she, she ended up smoking at 20 yards. And, uh, that's probably the biggest bullying was ever killed in my family. Yeah. That was a <laughs> freaking stud. Yeah. Um, my, my response to you is, is if you're doing a call swing sequence, um, versus either just sending out location bugles, or if you're just sending out, you know, I'm a horny cow, you know, muse or whatever, or, or lost cow chirps. Those, those are probably my number one go-to is a lost cow. Um, if I'm going to cow call, I really love that, especially a calf. And, um, and you know, those, those seem to get the, at least the, the cows going. And then if the cows start getting to go, sometimes you can get the bull going, but, um, and, and I, you know, I see Joe typing here and whatever they're responding to the best. And I, and I a hundred percent agree with Joe there is, you know, if, if I'm bugling and I want to bugle and I want to bugle in a bull, but that bull is calling back to a cow call or he's coming into a cow call. I'm a fool for not giving him what he wants. He's, they either want to, they either, they're either hungry or they're thirsty or they uh, want to fight or they want to do the other thing. And you got to find out which one that is the most and then give them what they want. And um, if you, if you're worried about sounding good, I would worry more about sound, about knowing what to say. Um, knowing what to say and when to say it is more important than knowing how well to say it. So and Brad, you had one yeah. more. Oh, thing I was just going to talking about that calf call that who's that shot IQ guy. Oh, um, Joel, Joel Turner. Yeah. He's yeah. all about that calf call. He calls in some freaking studs. Yeah. Yeah. He's got that. Yeah. Weird open mouth yeah. lost calf, but, um, Joe, go ahead and give him your answer real quick. Yeah. So I, I'm always a lover before I'm a fighter and I, I call like <laughs> you're fish, you're fishing because I, I always call near to far. So I'm always checking my close area just with a mouth cow call. Then I'll go to a grunt tube cow call so that it just sends it a little bit further because again, I'm casting right now. I'm just casting out, fishing those eddies, fishing those holes, trying to get that sound out there. Um, and also the, you know, a cow call is not always a cow call. A cow call can also be a bull mew. So especially early season, I find that they're real effective. And then my next thing is if I'm not getting anything when I'm doing that, then I'm going to go ahead and do a location bugle. A cow call is also a location call because bulls will respond to that. And if they do respond to that and that's what they're digging, that's what I'm going to give them. You know, um, there's going to be a point where that bull's either going to come to me or he's going to demand for me to come to him that's when I got to be ready to do other things to let him know why I'm not coming to him. Either I've got to demand him even more so to come to me. And if that's just doing a standoff thing, I got to make him think that introduce a bull that there's, and it doesn't have to be a bull scream. It it can be bull low audible noises. It could be raking. It could be um, a little bit of panting or glunking, just something to let him know that there's another bull in the area than the reason that cow's not coming. So you know, Garrett hit it right there is you got to like, 
pay attention to what's going on and why they're giving the call and what they're responding to because early season and it's that inviting sound and i and i take advantage of that i'll go to them i'll give some light ones and we'll work in especially in the thick stuff but you know for me i always will go with a cow call first because you know <laughs> Which are you going to want more as a dude, man? You going to want to go get your butt whipped or are you going to want to go get you something? And so, you know, to me, uh, that sugar is a whole lot better than vinegar. And, <laughs> and, and I've killed a ton of bulls just with cow calls, man. Uh, here in New Mexico, it is the best way to bring in bulls to you. But here's the deal, man, is – a lot of people think that there are no elk just because they're not hearing any elk bugle. And elk can respond without bugling. And especially if it's quiet time, if I'm seeing sign, if I'm smelling elk, I'm really moving slow and I'm doing just a little small group, either a small group of bulls with mews or just a little small group of cows that maybe a bull might want to try picking up because he's starting to feel like he's got the herding thing. It's going to be a smaller bull because the big guys aren't going to waste their time at that point in time, you know, there. So that's basically my technique. It's always near to far. And how do I know where I'm going to call again? Well, it's just like when you fish an area, you know, as long as you get that cast into an area, uh, you fish that out, you want to move to where you get a new casting point. And that's kind of how, I look at things when I do it. That's really similar to us over here in the Rosie country. We're, we're bugling into the same drainage from three or four, maybe sometimes five different angles um, into the mm -hmm. same drainage. Cause you never know if you can't hear that bull or he can't hear you. There's plenty, there's been times when I've been bugling into a bull. I hear somebody pull up on, on a uh, landing above me and I'm like, crap, they bugle, they hop out, they bugle. And then, the bull responds and then they drive off. Well, they didn't hear the bull cause they weren't down far enough in the brush. And it's like, Oh, thank God, you know, but I've had that happen once. And it was like, man, that just opened my eyes to just cause you don't hear them. Like you said, Joe is, uh, doesn't mean they're not there. And especially over here, um, you take for granted that you can hear a bull bugle back, but there's been times where, um, this year, this year. Oh yeah. 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 We're, we're watching that bull. Yeah. Bugled at him, he bugled. We bugled and we could not hear him. Couldn't hear him. You could see him bugling. 600 but... yards away in the middle of the open. Yeah. Not one tree between us and him. We could not hear him bugle. And so um, and I have him on video bugling and mm -hmm. everything and couldn't hear it. So um, hopefully that, that helps you out there, Ben. Is there any other follow-up questions before we move on to the next? And, and, and don't, don't forget to listen for other sounds either, man. Because, I mean, it's harder in that thicker, rosy country, but you can still get that. I mean, we had bulls this year that were responding that would just growl at us, you know. And as long as they give away, once they growl, we already know now he's telling us to stay away. So, you know, th that gave us an opportunity to know how to work him, to get in on him, try to get on his bubble, and then add some stuff to start, you know, enticing him, threaten him a little bit, do a little bit of growling, little panting, you know. It, when in doubt, for us and anybody that's listening about Rockies and stuff like that, if you don't know how to respond, like you're thinking too much and you're like, well, what are they saying? How do I answer that? I find, and the way I used to really piss them off was just mimicking them. Yeah. You know, you know, whatever they gave me, I gave it back to them just like they did to me. I didn't go over the top of them because I want them to work up. I don't want to be the dominant over top of them and scare them off. I'd rather let, you know, 
kind of just be the same bull. Because, man, I tell you what, you, you just think about when you go up between you and another guy, man. You look up and that dude's six foot. Eh, I don't know, man. He's like 100 pounds on me. I don't know if I'm going to take that. <laughs> but you're looking eye to eye somebody, you know, body to body, man. You're more apt to um, to tangle with that a little bit. So, yeah. you know, it. I don't think it's any different, man. Yeah. And, and last, last thought here on my end is, um, you know, my, my mom always asked me when I do something stupid, she's like, well, what did you expect to happen? <laughs> and so when, when you, or when you're calling, what are you expecting this bull to do? Not what do you want him to do? But if you think, mm-hmm. if you think it through and you have a bull that's bedded and you're getting a half belly bugle, just the high end of it, and you can just tell he's not really in it. He's just for whatever reason, he's calling back, and you're just not getting that bottom end of the bugle, and you can tell he's bedded, and you're lit-balling back at him, what do you expect to happen there? You know, Do you really expect him to get out of his bed and come charge you? Because probably not going to happen. Or if you are 100 yards out in the open, you can see the elk, and you're lit-balling at him. Do you expect them to come all the way over there when they can already see where you're at? You know, just It's just kind of thinking it through. Um, and, and just what do you expect to happen? And, and Joe's hitting the nail on the head there. Just when in doubt, yeah, just mimic him because, you know, he's expecting you to respond to, to him if he's, if he's answering you. And so, um, and just, it's kind of like the same thing with a bark bugle. That's the perfect scenario right there of do exactly what they do. If you get a bark chuckle and, uh, yeah. I, I did this on, actually I actually have a video of it. Um, and my buddy stuck a six point, um, after I did it, but we got kind of, yeah, yeah, I bar, I cut him off with a bark chuckle as fast as I could. Mm -hmm. And instead of walking off, he started skirting us because I challenged him back and he walked right into a shooting lane. And, um, yeah, because a bark chuckle is a bull saying, you know, what are you show yourself? Yeah. Right. It's like, I, I know that you're there, but what are you show yourself? And you, and you, when you bark chuckle right back at me, it's like, you know, dude, you show me, <laughs> yeah. you come to me. I want to see what you are. Right. So yeah, I totally agree, man. I've, I've never given up on, uh, if you just get a bark, if it's a cow that barks at you, you're screwed. Yeah. Right. But, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that reminds me of that video of those two guys on the island, and then the one guy's like, "Hey, what's your name?" <laughs> you know, yeah, they, they start. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what that reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, and and I want to talk about like your your ten thirty lazy bugle bedded bull, you know, because if you recognize that that lazy bedded bugle that that bull gets, man, that is prime time opportunity right there. Just to move in on that bull to a certain distance on that downside, give it some time, give out one cow call, just really, really light cow call in there. Just give it some time, man. Let it marinate, you know, wait a little while, give another little eh, eh, and just let it marinate and then start giving just a few, you know, just some of those low audible bull noises that has nothing with him. Do not target that bull. Uh, in fact, do just the opposite. Act like he's not there in your own little world right there and create that scenario. But really, dude, it's, it's, you know, you got to be relaxed about it. you got to paint that picture. You can't just try to rush it. Just really start to tap his curiosity and Man, that bull's going to be at a point where he's going to come out of that bed and he's going to come check it out. And you had better be in a setup where you could recognize that and hear him coming and listening for those noises. That's one of my favorite things to do at that time of day. Perfect. Well, Ben, how do you feel? Is that Did that answer your question um, good enough for you? Yeah, man, that answered it really well. Thank you, Joe. Perfect. Absolutely, man. 
I knew we invited you on here for a reason, Joe. I'm learning stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can only hunt elk and guide for so long before you learn something. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead, and, and Ben, if you're good to go, let's move on over to Trey, who's next in line. And you will have yeah, another chance to talk here in the end if you have any questions or if you have uh, some closing thoughts here. But appreciate you for coming on, man. I really do. And Trey, you are now up. And I feel like we should be uh, we should be taking notes from you, my friend. Uh-huh, that's funny. So uh, <laughs> thanks for th- thanks for having me on, Garrett. I really appreciate it. And uh, for you guys that don't know me, I'm Trey Hostetler from uh, I live in Missouri, and so I don't have the uh, I guess the liberty or the the advantage, whatever you want word you want to use to do any like eat, uh you know preseason scouting or whatever. So for me, it's I have to really have my spots picked out and mm-hmm. and when I get there, you know it's time to go. So mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me, um, I'm just really grateful that you know what a country we live in that we get this opportunity to hunt elk, and I think I take that to the woods and and just that attitude of being thankful, having a good attitude and just working for it. Really. That's the way I've found success. And, um, shoot the first year I went, you know, I think Garrett maybe remembers my story, but Mm -hmm. hunted Colorado for almost 20 days and saw maybe a total of eight elk, Mm -hmm. um, really just had one close opportunity and, and uh, from there, I just I just knew I had to do something different. So I don't know what's worked for me is just I just don't don't get set on one spot. I mean, if you're not an elk, move. I mean, don't you, if you hunt a canyon and there's not elk in there, you you got no business going back in, you know. So um, mm-hmm. that's really helped me be successful as far as my this season uh first year i ever hunted new mexico i didn't even have a tag but man that was a different experience big time than say uh wyoming or montana so mm-hmm. um my questions for for joe would be like i've hunted and had good success really in montana and wyoming um and it just seems the density of elk has been amazing at least in the areas I've hunted. And then we get to New Mexico. My father-in-law had a tag and a brother-in-law. So we had, we hunted the second season, which is, I guess, the 15th to the 24th. Right. And lots, we, we, I, I guess I'll just say where we hunted. We hunted unit 10 mm-hmm. and, um, lots and lots of people I, I felt anyways. And man, you know, we, we heard elk first thing in the morning but you know hour hour and a half after sunlight you just you, you don't hear nothing and mm-hmm. it just seems the density of the elk at least what we came into you would find them you know in close around private of course but you would find them in groups big big groups like if there was one bull there usually would be three or four others and then we, we did find some other areas where there was a, just one bull going, but most of the herds we came into, it was like, I would say anywhere two to five bulls. And man, it was just a, almost a culture shock for me because I, I, the way I, you know, from my experience, it's like find the thick areas and hunt that. But New Mexico, it was just hard for me to, to find elk because 
of how different it was. You know, I had to almost unlearn everything I had learned so far. Um, so I guess is that a New Mexico thing? Is where you'll find areas there's no elk, and then there's a hundred of them. Or yeah. <laughs> is it just yeah. that area? Well, and especially at that time, man, and depending on the area and the age class of the bulls, because, you know, th that's where, you know, when you've got that, that one bull that doesn't have a lot of age class competition that ends up with 40, 50, 60 cows, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I've seen that happen. So then it becomes real quick feast or famine on that. And then, you, you know, that group is then keeping satellites with them, which, you know, you don't end up with a lot of smaller split off groups, you know, in that type of situation. And the area that you're talking about, 200, I, I know real well there. And there's a lot of open country and like like little um, like low rolling drainages. And there's, you know, it's not really, really high country. So you got some thick and some ridges and then it just really opens up in some areas. Is that kind of what you're talking about, that type of area? Yeah, I mean, there's there was, you know, areas that, you know, were steep and and thick mm -hmm. and north facing. And I figured, OK, this is where we're going to find the elk. And there, yeah. there's just no elk there. And after hunting three or four days, there was just had it had nothing to do with like your general north facing type of anything. No. It was just, hey, this no. is where the elk are at for whatever reason. Yeah. And. They'll, and They'll top of ridge it basically. They'll they'll do a lot of just ridge top areas, man, where it kind of flattens out up on the top on the sides where they can still see, they can still smell, they can still hear wherever they found a place that they're just not being boogered at the time. And there's a lot of private country in that country that you were at right there. So a lot of them end up, you know, bailing off to bed into some of that private country and then they go out of it to go feed. And sometimes if you get on some of that, you can if you get in the right area, you can hear them bugling all day long. So it's not like they always just shut up. Sometimes they go to a spot, they're over a ridge. They've, you know, they've gone up one, they've dropped down into the other, and they end up down in an area where you're just not going to hear them. I, I'm not able to tell you how many times that I have been in a rut fest. I mean, a rut fest at 10, 1030. And uh, again, I was probably real aggressive, probably blew it up. <laughs> so, uh, and so I'm like heading over the ridge and I come across another hunter and this is not 800 yards really, you know, once I go up and go on the other side and they're going, I haven't heard a thing, man. And just over the top of the ridge there, it was blowing up, you know? So, uh, in those, in that country, it's real easy for guys, especially. So here's what generally happens is that, you have those bulls hit the trees in the morning. They're sounding off. They're advertising, and those cows are going to their destination. And that bull's kind of lagging behind. And you give a call out. He turns. He calls back. He sounds so aggressive. It's like, yeah, all right. He's he's responding. He's being aggressive when really he's doing roundup bugles to his cows, letting them know where he's at. He's he's basically posturing for them he's displaying for them they're still moving he's back there and he's kind of sounding off at you while they're still moving and then all of a sudden it sounds like he's another 300 400 yards away because he's jogging to catch up with them they're going over the top and all of a sudden everything just goes just quiet man and it's because they end up 
going up, over, dropping in, and you just don't hear them. And they get in the thicker trees where the sound just doesn't carry. You get the warmer air where the sound just doesn't carry. And everything's kind of floating up where that morning air, it just sounds like it echoes for air, forever on that. So what I do, man, is whenever I have a group like that, I never, and especially in New Mexico, I never trail a bull, man. I get up on that downwind side of them downwind where the thermal is not going to, I don't have to worry about switching, going up to them. I'm paralleling them and I am hauling butt and I am trying to get past that bull if I can, because I know they're going to a destination and I'm trying to get to a point where I can actually get on level ahead of him and try to kind of slowly slide into them from the side and try to catch their, the cows as they're moving up and then get myself in position with that bull. Once I get in on the cows, it's, it's a whole different ball game because now I've got a bull that's trailing, that's wanting to stay with the cows. He's announcing himself. It's easier for me to stay with the group. And if I have to, I'll just stay on that parallel side until we start to close the gap because depending on the type of country and like if you're on a, on a ridge or, or drainage or uh, a good size steep area that's kind of going up towards the top, it's going to get smaller at the top. If it's one of those that just keeps flipping through all of these small little dips and finger ridges, it's a little bit different. When I have that, I'm just going to keep trying to stay with them on that parallel side and then try to keep angling towards them. But the main thing is to get up and try to get up on them and get to a side where I can keep moving with them and at least stay with the herd. If I can get with that herd and I stay with them and they bed down on me, it's just like I was talking about earlier about that lazy bull bugle. Now I'm not chasing anymore. I have elk that are going to be there for the next six hours, man. So now I have a captured audience and now I can let them rest a little bit. I know that that bull's going to get a little bit antsy, especially that time of year that you're talking about. And I can start putting on a little scenario where I start talking, you know, sounding like a hot bull. I mean, a hot cow with a bull that's just off of them without again engaging that group just sounding like my own little deal over there, just having my own little party and seeing if they want to be invited to that. And I'm telling you, that is one of the deadliest things to do. Whereas as soon as you start screaming at that bull, as soon as you start engaging that bull directly, man, there's a good chance that, you know, he's going to just go over and start hooking some, getting them up and start getting them out of there. And you're going to hear this loud bugle. It's going to sound real aggressive, short and aggressive. And you're going to think it has to do with him reacting to you. He's reacting because of you. He's not reacting to you. Hmm. And he's getting the ladies out of Dodge, man. So uh, I, I would much rather have where I am disengaged in my conversation and not targeting that bull directly, not engaging him directly in order to bring him in. And that's how I've been real successful. All of that makes a ton of sense and relates 100% with our experience. Um, I have never, I've hunted, so this is now four years elk. Mm -hmm. I've never heard so many amazing rut fest type of bugles in my life. Oh, yeah. Hunting. Than, than I did in New Mexico, yet it felt more impossible to get close than any place I've ever hunted. So it was that dynamic of, hey, this is freaking awesome, to 
is it even possible to get close just because of the sheer sheer fact you know you'll that they just travel so much in new mexico it's like you said i mean trying to get in front of them is a lot it sounds easy when you're explaining it but it's a lot harder no it it's absolutely man i mean they move so easy but the the key is is not to go up their rear end because if you start trailing a bull it's over because of what i said man those cows are moving while he stopped and then he turns and he goes and it sounds like all of a sudden and i hear so many hunters going well man i i had him going and then all of a sudden he must have had cows because he ran away from me and it it had nothing to do with that you didn't spook him off or anything he's just trying to keep up with his group there B bulls are not the ones in charge man it's they're no different than us ain't a single dude here in charge of his relationship man <laughs> so you know it it's the woman turning the head man and they are in control there the when you were talking about that rough fest that's exactly what i'm talking about so think about this What's causing that rut fest? And that means you've got a hot cow in there, you've got a herd bull in there, and you've got these satellite bulls around that are waiting for their turn, man. They are vying for the, the next dips because, you know, that cow, those hot cows are going to be bred by four to six bulls, man. If if they are um if they are mature enough, they and those cows are accepting of them, they are going to be bred multiple times. So those other bulls are getting their butts whipped on the side. So the best strategy for that is one that most people don't use, and that's to put on your own rut fest. Get in a proximity. Make sure that you're someplace where you can start sounding like your own rut fest going on, maybe some lower-hanging fruit. I'd really like to do it. And then, you know, um, Garrett brought it up before, that lost cow, lost calf. I like to do that rut fest and like move in closer, give that lost cow, that lost calf and sound like that low hanging fruit that's going to attack, attract some of those satellites right off of that. Because again, lover before fighter, man. And <laughs> if they can, if they can find something that is going to be enticing to them, why are they just going to sit there frustrated screaming when all of a sudden, Whoa, mama's over there. So yeah, I, that is, and there's a lot of people too, bud, that when they go on private property, they feel like it's over. And I don't know if it's the competitor in me or what, man, but that's one of my favorite things is to try to pull them off by putting on my own show, by painting my own picture, by sounding like a herd and several bulls and a, a protective herd bull with a lot of satellites uh, to be able to pull them off. And I, I don't sit in one place when I do it. I do it just like a herd, man. I mean, I start working off away from them. And I find that when you start working your own scenario, moving away from your target animal, that is like the most realistic thing that could happen. And then sometimes we kind of slide back a little bit or I slide back in between with those lost cow and calf calls in there. So it's a lot of fun to do. It's challenging to do, but it's also very productive to do. Man, so so Garrett, I don't know if you've ever hunted New Mexico or not, but <laughs> what what Joe's saying right now, like this is this is probably some of the biggest like gold nuggets about New Mexico that's ever been. <coughs> well, I mean, on on a podcast. 
I didn't. So, I didn't invite him on here by accident. <laughs> right. Right. So, and the reason the reason I'm saying this is because I did exactly what he just said, and it worked. We called two bulls off a of private. Now, granted, they weren't the herd bulls, but uh, just a scenario no, for you, Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we were right next to a property line. And, uh, you know, sitting there, I think it was, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, um, sitting there, listening to everything. I would, I would do my own rut fest, try to move around that whole spiel. And I think the first one we called off was around one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. after sitting there for what is that? Three, four hours. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, one of these bulls is coming in. As soon as he starts coming in, buddy's in front of me. I backed up, and this was just cow calling. We called him right over the fence, and Mar- Marlin shot his first bull. You know, it was freaking awesome. The, um, the only thing I would it, add to that, but I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just so that anybody listening is, is I if I do something like that, I like to work away from that fence line at least 200 yards, if not even more, because – if when you put a shot on a bull, they're going to turn and go the exact same way that they came from, which can end up being a problem. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I always try to pull them well off. And that's why I like to do the scenario where I'm moving away from them and then come back sometimes with some of that lost cow. But I, I always try to pull them about 200 yards off. Glad you said that because his bull ended up, uh expiring back on private oh, um, yeah. and it yeah. was a little bit of an ordeal so if anybody's listening <laughs> and thinking yeah. about that uh you need to know especially if you, i mean this goes for any state if you're hunting around private within 200 yards or however close you are it's better to have or it's really a necessity now for me to have you know the ranch whatever it is contact with them because what happened was we didn't have service, okay? So mm-hmm. we had to go get service. Well, then you gotta hope and pray you you know you get can, can get a hold of the ranch. So um, there's a lot of scenarios there to think about for sure. But absolutely. Uh, um, so so go and prepare. But we had a ton of fun and probably yeah. I mean I saw bigger bigger bulls than I've ever seen in my life uh, hunting in New Mexico. So it was a good experience, but yet felt almost impossible at, at times, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I want to take that uh, just a step further, if you don't mind, Garrett. No, go ahead. So what I was talking about there as well is like a bull, how they like to go back the way they came. It's, it's, it's just survival. You know, a bull, when they're coming to an area, you know, they're, they're at alert. They're trying to see, they're trying to hear, they're trying to smell. Well, a lot of that time, the smell's not going to help them a lot. So they're trying to see danger. So they've already come through a spot that they've checked. So the safest place to retreat is the same place that they went. So that works as well. If you've ever, if you've ever been in a situation, what I call an oh crap setup, that's one of those setups where all of a sudden the bull's on top of you and you don't really get to pick your setup. It's just like, oh crap. And you're down. Right. And so that boy ends up stopping and maybe hanging up and he's looking, trying to find, and he doesn't see the cow that he should see. So he kind of turns and he just walks off disinterested. Well, most guys at that point, what's the thing they do? Well, they're like, okay. So the cow call again. Next thing you know, the bull comes back the exact same way on the exact same path, stopping mm-hmm. in the exact same place, looking for that cow because that's the way that he's already come. 
And I've seen, I've made the same mistake early in my career where I've done that, had a bull come in four times to the same place. And you know, what an, man, I should have just hit myself over the head with a rock. And I finally realized (laughs) that, man, after I saw a bull do that, the first thing I did, man, was I got up within effective shooting range and threw a call back behind me. And sure enough, that bull came over, came right to the same spot and presented me with the shot. So you can use that against them in different ways if you understand that behavior too. But man, I tell you, if if I have my druthers, man, when it comes to anything like a barrier off a fence line, I'm trying to pull them as far as I can. I'm hopefully able to get them about 400 yards. But And if you are the type of person that's going to take a, a solid, effective shot where you're not going to take something that is a marginal shot, I mean, I mean, you can put that bull down in 20 yards and 50 yards just by popping both lungs on a, on a good double lung shot there, and you can put them down quick. But if you take a marginal shot, you're asking for a long day, a harassing day, and some trouble if you hunt close to that fence line. 100% agree with that for sure. Um, so I want to I want to share a little bit about my uh, Montana experience this year, just because earlier we were talking about some calling. Um, first day in Montana, ton of bugles. I don't know. You know, we we had a bull going, had some good action. Day two, we have we're we're at you know hunting f- from camp, so you know we're we're getting up early for first light. It's about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. We haven't heard a thing all morning. And I'm hunting with my buddies. We're getting, you know how it gets, Garrett, when uh, when you're not seeing things, you start cracking jokes. Um, people start <laughs> blowing on cows a little, cow calls a little funny at times. So we're mm-hmm. meandering through the woods, not hearing a thing, and we jump a bull. And so this is like mid-morning now. And that bull we jumped him but we just immediately started cow calling um i did a couple bugles uh and we started raking so we went from not seeing hearing anything to jumping a bull or and or maybe he was coming in silent you know i don't i don't Mm -hmm. really know right but the point is we see a flash of an elk so we get serious um I think I was watching the video just the other day, actually. I think it's about five minutes of calling. He finally works his way back in and presented a 27-yard shot. And what Joe was saying earlier, I was lucky enough to make a double-lung shot, and he died within sight, right. um, 50, 60 yards. So the point is just um, you can call bulls in multiple different ways if you if you do it right. And in any state, in my opinion, and I haven't hunted Roosevelt's, but, um, man, I just, I just think once you're, once you're in close to them, you have to get serious and you have to just go with your instincts, you know, um, because if you're second guessing yourself, it's like, oh, am I bugling too much or am I cow calling too much? That's not a position you want to be in. You want to just go with your guts and make it happen. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to shut friggin' up sometimes too. Well, you know, and, 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 and that too. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, and, and then we were uh, t- talking about elk nut earlier. My Wyoming experience was I tried shutting up. I tried, you know, almost everything raking and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. He didn't 
he didn't respond till I got within 60, 70 yards of his bed. And that that's what that particular bull needed to get him riled up. So yep. each, each hunt I've been on has just been different. It's none of them are the same really. That's the, that's the beauty of elk hunting, man. I mean, I don't care how long you've been doing it every year. You're going to learn something new every year. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. Well, um, I know Ross, you've been waiting for a while. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add real quick, Trey, before we uh, pass it over to Ross? No, man. I'm just glad. I'm very happy. You was, uh, allowed me to come on and chat about elk and, uh, love hearing and talking to you guys. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate Thanks you for coming it. on, man. And, and, um, your, your success is pretty cool. Cause you, you started hunting elk and pretty much found success immediately. So I have a, a lot of respect for what you've done and you've already hunted more states for elk than I have. So, um, I'm a little jealous of you there. <laughs> well, Hey, like I, like I said earlier, I mean, it's a, it's, it's on, it's a blessing and a curse to be from the East. But the, the blessing is when we come out, we're there only to do one thing and that's hunt. If you live there, you, you may, you know, well, I, I have a job, so I'm only going to weekend hunt, right. Or, or whatever it is. I just feel like it allows me to be 1000% committed when I'm there and, and it helps, you know, because on day three and four, when you're tired and sore, it's like, man, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is my precious off time. I, I got to go, you know? So I think, I think it, it, you know, it is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I appreciate you, uh, Trey for hopping on here and Ross, you've patiently waited your turn for i don't know probably over an hour now so uh it is the mic and the floor is both yours man well thanks if i cut out i don't know what's going on when i've been listening to you guys i've been <laughs> missing like five seconds here and there but um i main, mainly chimed in to tell tom you know like he was talking about you know he was seeing herds of 15 with you know rag horns basically he wasn't seeing any big bulls and then in the and I basically kind of asked him the questions in the in the conversation down below, but um, that bull that he went down to the creek, and I highly suggest getting Elk Nuts book. I mean, elk, there's so there's no one way to hunt an elk. It's like you know, fishing. Try if this isn't working, try something else. Which you know, um, Joe has basically already touched on all that in the time when we were talking. And I think, I think Joe needs to, uh, I don't know what you have for a platform that, you know, we can go on and listen to you more, but you're, you're pretty darn smart from what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes, bro. That's all. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, me, me too. And, you know, like I said, I just wanted, I chimed in to try to ask Tom some questions, which I ended up doing in the comments below. A lot of people don't want to hear from me because my success has is basically all been rifle hunting, but I live in a unit, you know, not too far from here where I'm in all summer long and I've helped buddies with archery. I don't, I don't, I don't know forever. And I've seen a lot of stuff and the area I hunt is the, uh, it's the foothills of the Cascades. So like the upper part, I would say is mostly Rockies, you know, and then with the mix, Yeah, of Roosevelt, but then the lower part of the unit. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Did I? Yeah. Yeah, just for a second, Which but part? we caught the gist of it there, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, you were just saying what you hunted and where, and it, well, I think we put the pieces together. And actually, I think I think the fact that you're a rifle hunter, you have a lot of contribute to contribute on that as well because there's so many people that I talk to because I'm just so archery-minded um, mm-hmm. that – you know, I forget a lot of times to talk about those later season strategies because it's a whole different ball game, man. It's a whole different elk at that point in time, you know, um, and there's so many variables that control things on where they're going to be and what they're going to be doing. And, you know, I, I, I think that, that that's a total skill set in itself, you know, um, that needs to be talked about more. Yeah, I think so. I kind of take pride in my hunting ability, I guess you might say. Uh, and it is, you know, because they're not, well, sometimes like the beginning of the r- late season, you'll hear a bull, you know, yes. chime off every once in a while. But yes. they're not really callable very much, but you can at least get a location of where they're at. And that's um, half of it, right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then for me here in Washington, uh, at least on the east side of the mountains, you know, unless you draw a big bull tag, you can only hunt spikes. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. like considered myself. Well, you know, let me ask you this. I really enjoy this, hunting but... spikes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Well, let me ask you this. So, like, what I have found where, because I guide on a ranch that's from, I mean, from the August bulls all the way till, you know, December, January. So I get to see that full circle. And it seems like, you know, those bulls that are down, and that they'll be like down, and I say down because it's just my perspective from where I'm at. They're like down in these lower um, summer ranges down there, um, while cows are still up in a different area where they've got a lot better grass and stuff. They're just not in the same area. There's, there's, you know, there might be a few cows in those areas. Can't say there's none, but the bigger groups are are in a different area. And I find that these bulls kind of move anywhere from 15 to 20 miles to from where they are in that summer range to being up to where they're going to be in that rut range. And then later season, a lot of those guys, and depending on where, because we have different groups, we have some groups that'll stay at, you know, they're down there at that 5,000, 6,000 feet elevation, moving up into, you know, 8,000 in elevation. And then we have those groups that are up there at 9,000, you know, the bulls were up there, um, even a little higher and then coming down. So it's funny. We have groups of bulls that start from lower and move up. We have groups of bulls that start higher and move down, but all of them, when they, when they get done with that, they actually move to the areas that they began, you know, they start moving and you find them almost in those same areas in those later seasons, unless you have things that start to alter that, like the snows that start to change things and push them in different places. So, uh, I'm kind of curious as to, what you're seeing in that area of Washington where you hunt like that. So I primarily hunt in the blue mountains. I've been hunting there for 30 something years. I've drawn two bull tags and in my 30 years of being there, the bulls are from, I would say half to the bottom to the Creek beds in every draw. And Mm -hmm. that's like that late, that late October, you know, beginning of November. Um, so if you're bull hunting, I mean, unless you're wanting to shoot a raghorn, then you could, you know, go look for the, or the cows go look for the herds. 
yeah, yeah, where the cows are. But the the big guys, every single one I found is they're 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 at the, they're at the they're at the bottom. You know, like the whatever kind of canyon you're in, you're looking. They're in that you know quarter from the creek bed to the creek bed area, and at that time of year, they are. If you're not there at first light, you might not see them going to the trees. And if you're not there until it gets dark, you're not going to see them come out of the trees. Um, right. And you just, you know, just got to pick it apart. But like, um, if you don't draw a big bull, you get to hunt spikes, which spikes are, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to kill during the rifle season. One, because they're never by themselves. Mm-hmm. Two, they're they're always surrounded by cows. So if you do find mm-hmm. them, you got to be able to get a clean shot. And right. there's not as many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what time of year? When you say that, what time of year are you hunting? So in Washington for the rifle, it's the very end of October and like the first part of November. Yeah. So it's like usually one of like, the toughest times to find them. <laughs> It usually starts like that week. Well, if you draw a big bull tag, you get a five-day grace period before the general season starts. Uh-huh. So it's usually, it's usually that mon- the Monday before Halloween, and then the mm-hmm. general season starts that Saturday before Halloween. Um, but, yeah. That's a, that's a tough hunt, actually, man. Because I, I find that when I find the most big bulls is right around that December 1st, you know, when they bachelored up and they're, you know, they could care less about, they're just in such a recovery mode for winter that they're just mm-hmm. eat, eat, eating. And there, there's going to be five or seven of them. And so they're a little bit easier to spot than that single bowl out that's out there trying to feed, that you're trying to catch coming out of the trees in the golden 15 at the end or the golden 15 in the morning. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you've you, you impressed me, Joe. I mean, your knowledge is very extensive. <laughs> your knowledge is very extensive. Well, I, I, I get a lot of time with these critters, man. So um, <laughs> I'm around them all the time. They're they're my animal. I, I you know I like calling in elk um, in in July. I mean, I just go through the woods and just sound just like a little group of you know of cows, like those a herd there and managed to pull cows over to us and stuff. So you get a lot of time to play with and play with the languages and learn things from them. And it, it's just, I'm, I'm just fortunate that way. I, I live, I live right by the Via Vidal. I'm like the entrance to the Via Vidal is about five miles from my house, 10 miles from my house. And if you don't know what that is, it's 200,000 acres of just friggin' gorgeous <clears throat> here new mexico that's mm. a lifetime hunt area there it used to be right. part of the vermejo park ranch which is now still six hundred thousand acres and i guide on that ranch and i get to see full circle on that imagine that imagine being on a place six hundred thousand acres that has all five zones from you know down there at three thousand feet up till you know twelve thousand feet up there so it's pretty special country right another, another thing i could add with the place i hunt and I'm sure it's maybe the same and it's all pressure dependent, but like if you're a spike hunter and you're trying to, and you find a herd, if they're not pressured, they're not really going to go anywhere too much. But if they get pressured or bumped, what I have mm-hmm. found is they have a routine and mm-hmm. they know, I mean, they know that every branch, they know every trail, like the back of their hand. What I have found is within, you know, they, 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 if, if they get pushed out, 
usually within three to four days, they're back kind of in the same area because they kind of just have a, have a routine. Yeah. Um, and me and my buddies, we just have these number of canyons and how we have been successful is, is we take turns and we each rotate through the canyons. That way one guy is not stuck in the same place all the time. Mm-hmm. And we can use, we can usually follow them around and then just wait for our opportunity to get a good shot. And, um, very smart. Yeah. We, we've taken, we've taken a, a good number of elk out of there because of that one Canyon in particular, I think we've taken like 14 elk out of, but, um, <clears throat> yeah. For those who like to chase spikes, <laughs> if you, if you scare them, if you scare the herd, they're going to be back there within three or four days. Is the, yep. in in my in my uh, observations anyway? No, I totally agree. I, I mean, I see the same thing. I, we we stay on some of these groups, um, and you know exactly where and when. And a lot of times they're only going to be two hundred, <clears throat> three hundred yards difference, you know, from where they come out in some places. There's a reason that they're there at that time of year, and mm-hmm. it's going to always attract them. You know, a great point. Right. Yeah, and usually, like the place we hunt there's only one road and it's on top of the ridge. And so everything is down in the canyons to the private land. There's no other roads. So sometimes you get back up to your truck in the dark, whatever, you always have these guys driving by that ask you if you saw anything. And sometimes, (laughs) sometimes those guys have loose lips, right? And (laughs) us, uh, and us knowing the area, they'll say, Oh yeah. What'd you say? Oh, we saw this herd down here. <laughs> We're in this canyon this way. They're going to be over there tomorrow, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And Keep as your a shameless, ears and eyes open. As a shameless plug, I'm not the quality of a, of a Garrett, but uh, we have a podcast called Blue Collar Elk Hunting, if you ever want to check it, check it out. Oh, I, I have heard of that. I have heard of that. It, it yeah. is a great okay. podcast, man, and he's selling himself short. And uh, Garrett, you've never even listened, dude. I was on it, though. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and i and i've listened to you plenty and i and i and i agree i mean ross is uh ross is hitting the nail on the head there's a reason i invited you on the show man and i really do appreciate you coming for sure thanks but uh so ross is there i appreciate you for chiming in too and, and by the way my wife makes fun of me every time i wear your shirt because i wear it way too much so <laughs> still well when still. i i don't have very many of those left so if you want me to send you one or I can send you a new one. Hey, man. Is that the I'm... Crazy Elk Company? Yeah. Yep, that's me. Oh, awesome, man. Joe Gillia, nice to meet you. <laughs> you too. Yeah, he's he's got the tag wallet. And, and um, actually, I think I got to use that for the first time in Wyoming um, last year. So Yeah, on your on your antelope. Yeah. yeah that was pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, it only took me like four you years know, to finally use it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know you're pretty faithful to the hunt take guys, but I do have an e-take system if you're ever interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. I am pretty loyal, but I, I don't I don't mind supporting other friends too. So I mean, you can you can let me know. Let me know. But uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I I do appreciate you showing up here, and I and I hope that you're on the on the uphill. I know you've been sick here uh, pretty recently too. So <clears throat> yeah, well, yeah, it's been a rough. I've had since Christmas. I've only worked like ten days. I'm suffering from what they call the the long COVID thing. I've yeah. had. I've had the flu, and then, like, right after the flu, I got the Uh-oh. He lost his voice right after the flu. Oh. And I've had pneumonia <laughs> twice. There's, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, um, we're, we're getting on to close to two hours here, boys. So I'm going to start getting final thoughts out of everybody that's on here. Everybody's going to be unmuted. Oop. I actually just muted Joe. There we go. Unmute, uh, Trey here. Um, is there anybody, uh, that has any final questions, Thomas? I know you've been waiting. It's been a while since, uh, you got to talk. Is there anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, one quick one. Um, and it's more probably geared towards you guys, uh, Garrett. Um, do you guys, uh, maybe change your calling tactics or frequency when you know there's other hunters, uh, maybe not like super close, but nearby at all? Um, I mean, me personally, I, I don't try, I try not to focus on areas that there's going to be a lot of other people. I, I very rarely ever compete with other people. Having said that the bull I killed this year, there was two or three other groups trying to kill that bull while we killed it. So, um, I don't change my tactics period. I mean, I, if, if, if if I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do what I'm I'm gonna do what what I'm going to do when I'm going to do it. And if if other people want to join the party and they haven't figured out that I'm a hunter, um, that's on them. So um, and if I I'm I'm never it, it, here. How do I put this without sounding like a douche? Um, <laughs> if if I am so worried about losing that one opportunity um because i'm 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 worried about losing that one opportunity because i'm afraid i'm not going to go get another one i need to work harder and get better and and if me worrying about bugling in this certain spot because i'm worried about attracting other hunters i need to i need to either change areas or get better at finding more elk because i'm going to do what i'm going to i'm going to run my playbook and everybody else can be damned now i'm not going to go in there and ruin somebody else's hunt and I'm not going to bugle when some guy's literally driving by me, you know, or something like that. But yeah, um, I'm running my playbook. Brad, okay, I'm right there with you. Okay, I'm yeah. falling asleep. Over I, I am, and, and, and to be honest with you, man, I I was on how many bulls did I tell you I was on the first, and I hadn't seen a truck. More than me, uh, quite a few. I mean, I was on. I think I don't know. I'd have to go back and look um, at my uh, old podcast, but I probably had. Seven or eight bulls bugled in the first week. We had a lot of bugles um, this year. Yeah, and so, I ran into no one until I opened my mouth and told somebody where I was hunting. So it's got to be that new bugle <laughs> tube. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that, um, hopefully that makes sense for you there, man. I, I hope I answered your question. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Run, run your playbook, and and everybody else can be damned. And if they run in on you, that you know that just you know you're a good caller. <laughs> So, uh, but, uh, Trey, did you have anything here? I think I still have you on mute. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, um, I would just say as far as people, um, shoot, I mean, I, I really haven't had that problem in New Mexico. Obviously we had a bigger issue with other hunters, but yeah, I mean, you you always want more London. And, um, yeah, if, if, if people are an issue, just need a couple more spots to check out really is the way I see it. And I, I don't know, you know, I really enjoyed being on here and, uh, enjoyed listening to, to Joe and all you guys and like, love talking elk. I could talk elk all day long, every day. seems like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, well, perfect. Joe, final thoughts. Uh, man, just thanks a lot for having us on here. And, uh, uh, the only thing I'd say is to that last question you had there is, is that anytime I hunt pressured areas, it's, it's not about 
where I hunt. It's about when I hunt. I always try to pick times. I'm usually on my animals before daylight and on them when most people are getting out of bed. Um, and <coughs> same thing, I like to hunt a lot of the midday when most people are at camp. And, you know, um, it, that's what I, I just feel about pressure, you know, as far as that. So mm-hmm. I take advantage of those times. Perfect. And, uh, Ross, I know you were planning on getting off here, but I'll give you one last chance to, to say your piece. Uh, just like listening to what you guys are talking about. Um, I think Joe is very knowledgeable and I would like to pick his brain some more. Hey, there's not a whole lot in there, but, but (laughs) (laughs) that's 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 what we all say, but, um, Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was nice talking to you guys and listening to you. And I hope uh, Thomas, there you, you get it done this this fall. And you get your first yeah, hopefully. And, and, uh, yeah, if you do get that e tag, send me pictures because at the end of the year we always have a giveaway. So to get <laughs> I can barely hear you there, Ross. Yeah, but, yeah, you started yeah, disappearing. Yeah. Um, he said basically send oh. him send him a pic of an e tag um, with a bull. Yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. But yeah, very, last year, very cool last, format, Garrett. Very cool. Yeah, you know, I I, I like. Year, or sorry, go ahead. I was say last year we gave away a bow for every. You know, we had a everybody who sent us pictures at the end of the year. We had a basically a drawing, and we gave away a bow. This year, I'm not sure what we're doing, but we're going to do another giveaway at the end of the year. So anybody who sends us pictures of their kills with their tag wallets or e tags are going to get put in the drawing. Awesome. Perfect. Well, shout out Crazy Elk Company. There you go. And uh, Brad, you're almost falling asleep here. You just got off work. <laughs> so, is there anything in, in your infinite wisdom? Nope. <laughs> Perfect. So, well, I appreciate everybody for being on here. And um, this was, I, I'd say, the first um, airing on on point airing uh, live. I would call it a success, and and I'm sure it'll grow from here. But uh, yeah, if you guys ever want to be a part of this again, just let me know, and I'm sure we'll be scheduling here one in the next couple months. So I appreciate yeah, I everybody for, say, for uh, yeah, hopping on. just want to say thanks, everyone, for uh, chatting with me and uh, letting me be a part of this. Awesome, brother. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and play some outro music, and um, I, I will let you guys hop off of here. Awesome, dude. All right. I'll take care. Peace, peace. See ya. Yeah.